for those that like to have titles, I actually have a title, and it's called Experiencing the Emmaus Road. So if you would, uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. Let's just go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, uh, I just ask you, Lord, that you'll open all of our hearts to hear your voice speaking to us today, to know that you're the living God, and I just ask that you'll minister to every need that's here, and I just ask your hand to be upon me and to cause me to speak your words to these people in a good way, in a good spirit, that we can all be blessed and rejoice in you when it's done. And we just thank you for doing that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start uh, in Luke 24. We'll begin in verse 13, and we'll read down to verse 35. And it says, And behold, two of them when that went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs or seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And do you do not know the things which have come to pass therein these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, they, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. And then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew near unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone far further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way or on the road and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. So to give a little context in the light of Mother's Day, you know, the events leading up to this passage are interesting. So Jesus, our Lord, was crucified, and it says that he was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. 
So several of the women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and it says other women. We don't know exactly how many. They followed Joseph when he took that body off the cross, and it says they followed him because they wanted to see where that tomb was. And that night they prepared spices and ointments for his body. And they come to the tomb early in the morning, morning to anoint his body. But instead of that, what do they find? They find that the stone is rolled away and he's not there. And it says they were perplexed or puzzled. They're like, what is going on here? And then suddenly it says, two men in shining garments appear. And the women become frightened and they just bow down to the earth in fear to the men. And these men, who we know are angels, they say, well, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And then this angel says something to them. These angels, they say, don't you remember the words he said? That the Son of Man, he, Jesus told them this in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So if you look here, you're in chapter 24. Look what it says in verse 8. After that, I just quoted verse 7. Look what it says. It says, then they remembered his words. Now, John 2, it says he said something similar to that to the disciples. They didn't remember until it says after he was resurrected. Now, do you think all of a sudden these women were blessed with good memories that they suddenly remembered his words? Now, I think it was actually the work of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see, okay? Because... What did John say, Jesus say in John 14, 26? He says, when he, the spirit of truth, shall come, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. How many times has that happened? You read something in the word and you thought you forgot all about it and right at the situation you needed, it, either in a trial or you're witnessing somebody, there it is. That's what God does. That's the way he works. And so this work up through the Holy Spirit, guess what? They are, they didn't just remember, they believed those words. So women were the first ones to believe in Jesus' resurrection. They were the first ones to believe his words, the women were, of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what it is? It's a reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Because if you read 1 Timothy 2.14, it says that the woman was deceived. Not the man. It says the woman was deceived and disbelieved. But here we have a reversal of that, right? The women and the men are having a time with this. But the women are the first to believe, aren't they? And they're the first to want to show love to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're coming back, even though they know it's just his body, but they are going to anoint that body. The women did that, not the men. And all through Luke's gospel, we don't have time to deal with all this now, but women have a special place. And they really, though, didn't have a special place in that society, which makes the gospel unique. You know, you have in Luke 7, you have that sinful woman that has the boldness to come into that Pharisee's house at that dinner, and just her love for the Lord is expressed. She comes up behind him, and what does it say? Her tears wash his feet. It says she repeatedly kisses his feet, and then the towel is what? It's her hair. And Jesus says, you, you Pharisee, you didn't even give me any kiss at all. And she's repeatedly kissed my feet. You didn't wash my feet like it's customarily done. You treat me like I'm just a common person, no, a nobody. 
And yet she's, with her tears, washed my feet, and with her hair, dried them off. In Luke 10, what do we have? Who's sitting at Jesus' feet? Mary. Wanting to hear what? His word. So is it only men that can understand and comprehend the word? I don't think so. I think the, the ground's level there. And in Luke 8, if you read Luke 8, it says that many women went with Jesus, and they are the ones that supported his ministry, it says, out of their substance, out of their living. They're the ones that kept him going, kept him fed, repaired his sandals, whatever. It says that about women. So they go back and they tell these men what has happened, but it says in the word that these men looked at their report, it says in the King James, as idle tales. And actually, the Greek is a bit stronger than that because it means that which is totally devoid of anything worthwhile. That's how they looked at that's, you're, what you just told me is nonsense is another way it means. We don't believe a word of what you said. That's just nonsense. So obviously, the resurrection could not have taken place on Mother's Day. <laughs> right? And I would say to you children... You got to use a little wisdom today, okay? So no matter what your mom tells you, no matter what story she told you about when she was a little girl or whatever, don't say this. Don't say that what you just said is totally void of anything worthwhile, mom. <laughs> just another one of your idle tales. Don't say that. It's Mother's Day. So here are these men. It says they refuse to believe them, except for, look at the end of chapter 23, except for who? I'm sorry, I'm not ch chapter 24, verse 12. There's one, though, that he's listening to these. Look what it says, Peter, chapter 24, verse 12. Then arose Peter. So verse 11, it says, the words seen to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. But Peter, though, arose, ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. See, I think Peter... He saw the respect Jesus had for these godly women, and I think he had it too. And right now, God's dealing with him through the testimony of these women. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> that takes us up to where we're at, all right? So I think the theme in the verses we're going to look at, verses 13 to 35, so we, we come to verse 13, and Luke, like a person does in a good movie you watch, all of a sudden he's changed the scene. So he goes from where the 11 are gathered to where all of a sudden the scene changes and we're on this road to Emmaus with two people walking, right? In verse 13. And I believe the message or the theme of what we're going to look at of this account today is that we have hope as we walk in this life. This life that for all of us is filled with trials and trouble. That's what I think we're going to learn today. And hope that the risen Lord Jesus is with us in a very real way. And how is that? It's through his word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to see today. So Jesus walks with us through this life. Though we don't always do. We, do we always see or feel his presence in our life? But he is a real presence in our lives. We'll see that. Now God does occasionally let us tangibly in a real way, feel the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would assume if you're a saved person, you've experienced that, especially if you've been saved more than three weeks, right? 
And I believe as we examine this passage of God's words, we'll see that we can have an experiential knowledge, a knowledge based on experience, personal experience of our living Savior through his word and by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence and influence of the Holy Spirit. So that's you, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, whether you're one of those people Daryl says you can't get out of bed. I'm wondering, what age is that? Because my seven-year-old can't get out of bed and I can't sleep, so obviously he's not talking about old people, right? But whether your grades in school, your personality, your sex, your race, none of that matters. You can personally know the living Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that's what we get out of what we're going to do today. So the account begins down there in verse 13 with these two disciples were saying, walk the seven miles from Jerusalem to a small village called Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're talking to each other about all the things that had just happened. And I don't think they're just talking about the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. But we'll see they're also talking about, and we've already read it, their hopes of him delivering Israel from their enemies and that he is the Messiah that is going to set up the throne of David for an everlasting kingdom. And they're probably also discussing their report of those pesky women. That nonsense. You know, they're telling us Jesus is alive? Yeah, they're crazy. It's women. Idle talk. Idle tales. But here's the thing. They, as they're walking, they are not just casually talking about things. Because look, in verse 15... It says it came to pass, they communed together, that means they talked together, and they reasoned, they're reasoning with each other. And in verse 17, Jesus says, the King James doesn't translate this very well, what manner of communications are these. He uses a word that talks about your bannering back and forth. They're throwing words back and forth at each other. And some people want to say it gives a sense that they're arguing. Well, I don't know if I want to say necessarily that they're arguing, but let's just say they are having a serious discussion about the things of God. So they're raising questions about what's going on. They're attempting to get answers. They're trying to come to some understanding on all the events that have just happened, right? And let me ask, let me tell you something. Do you know that God loves that when his people do that? When they talk and walk or sit and talk about the things of God in a serious way either sharing or trying to come to an understanding. Listen to this verse. found this verse way back early on in my charismatic walk, and it's been a blessing to me. Malachi 3, 16 and 17 says this, and listen, they that feared the Lord, this is an end time scripture, by the way, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And when they did that, you know what it says next? And the Lord hearkened. He's listening to that. It's like Jesus, he's coming up on that conversation. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Book of remembrance. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And here, listen to what God says. The days that are tough coming up. And he says, I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Now, that's a, that's a promise to underline, highlight, and memorize, isn't it? Now, I didn't have it memorized. I'm reading it to you up here. But nonetheless, it's Malachi 3, 16 to 17. And God loves that so much, he will sit in on our discussions when we talk about the Lord in a serious way. Because look at verse 15. 
It says, it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned as they're doing that, what happens? What does it say? Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So when did he draw near and go with them? It's not while they're talking about the weather or about kosher cooking or the wheat harvest or Simon's bar mitzvah. No, it's when what? While they're communing together, talking about the things of God, right? So here, I, I think they might have been so much into this discussion, they might not even have been aware of his presence with them walking. I mean, it doesn't say, and it's kind of speculation on my heart part, but he's walking with them, and he's listening to what they're saying, isn't he? So I'll tell you, some of my, I could go back to the beginning of my salvation. I thought, well, we always hear about things. You'll be like, yeah, it was 30 years ago, man. What's going on with you now? Well, you know, let me say, take it up to date then. But some of my favorite times are not walking the Emmaus Road, but they're walking the concrete path in the park next to my house with my wife discussing spiritual things. I said, haven't felt good lately. We haven't been able to do it. And I told her, I said, I miss that. I really do. And so we, I think we all need to have a friend or a spouse that we can freely talk and discuss the things of God about, right? The things of God that are on our heart. And I think the Lord will sit in on those conversations. He will just like he does here, and bless him. So I have a friend that we've met for coffee. The friend had to go on an extended vacation, I guess you could call it, sort of, and we haven't been able to do it on Thursday mornings. And that's what we would do. So we wouldn't just sit there and talk about, well, let's just open the Bible. I mean, it was natural conversation. But So we'd talk about family, some, work, things that are going, but mostly we were talking about the things of the Bible. And I'll tell you, that I got a call from that person, and this blessed me, because I learned things from my friend, and I think my friend learns things from me when we talk. And I got a call about a question of what to do in a situation. Well, I, I didn't want to give the answer, because then you're just doing it because someone tells you, right? And the person said, I remembered something when we talked way back when that you said that, you know, most people are too lazy to look up in the word for themselves, the answer. They want somebody to tell them what to do. And the person got in the word and found out for themselves. And here's what they said. They got the answer from this, their cells. The Lord spoke to their heart. And they said, what joy and peace I know that God has spoken to me. So that's the results. You know, things you say to a friend, a person, a young person, sometimes even in passing, if it's about the Lord, God can be in that and can use that. And I believe he will use it. So I'm sure a lot of you in here, I'm not the only one, you all could, you know, go on and on about how you meet with people and have coffee and discuss the things of the Lord, and how many times do you know that God confirms that God was there in that conversation? And, but, you know, just like on my friend, we don't sit there and think, oh, I can feel Jesus is here with us. I can feel, you know, it's just like these guys, they, they're walking on the road, they don't know that he's there, you don't, you don't have to get all mystical about it, right? So, you know, it's not like we can't talk about other topics. Sometimes the way the situation is, the person, you can tell they wouldn't really want to talk about something, so you just don't feel comfortable. It's not like we can't talk about the weather, sports, bar mitzvahs, whatever, right? <laughs> but that should be what's in our heart, that that's what we want to talk about because we're spending time in the Word. We're spending time in the Lord, and that's really where our heart's desire is. Like he says, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. Well, look what it says here in verse 16. It says, the Lord drew near and went with them. But verse 16 says, 
their eyes were holding that they should not see him or know him. And here we see a spiritual principle. And that spiritual principle is God sovereignly controls what we know about the word or him. Sovereignly controls it. He opens and shuts our physical and spiritual senses as he wills. Just as he prevents them, look, he prevents them from seeing Jesus. I don't think that's the devil holding their eyes. That's the Lord. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Just as he does that in verse 16, look what the Lord does down in verse 31. Sovereignly, verse 31, just the opposite. And their eyes were what? He closed them in 16. In verse 31, it says their eyes were opened and they knew him. Who's in control of all that happening? It's not us, is it? That word holding means to restrain in such a way to keep something from happening. So let me explain it like this. You know, a horse is designed to run, isn't it? That word gives a sense that that horse is wanting to run and you are pulling back on those reins. You're restraining it from doing something it's designed to do, to run. And what are our eyes designed to do? Our eyes are designed to see objects and to see them for what they are, right? And so that word holding there means... It's a restraining. He's restraining their eyes from seeing what they should be able to see in the natural. Because Jesus doesn't change his appearance from verse 16 to verse 31. It's not him that's changing. It's God affecting their eyesight. The change takes place in the eyes of the disciples. And that's what happens in the spiritual realm, isn't it? Because truth, believe me, truth doesn't change. But our spiritual eyes are, or our understanding does change supernaturally and sovereignly by an act of God. So we all know the story of Elisha and his servant. I believe it's 2 Kings 6. When they're, city, they're in the city of Dotham, and it says they're surrounded by a huge or large host of the armies of the king of Syria. And the servant is shaken in his boots when he sees this army surrounding the two of them because they are after them. And it's two against thousands, or at least hundreds, right? And he cries out to Elisha when he sees that. Alas! Master, what shall we do? I mean, it looks like it's a desperate situation. And listen, someone and all of us, when we're just looking at our events or circumstances or trials with natural eyesight, that's what we're going to cry out. What are we going to do? This pain is overwhelming. I don't have any money and it's due. I have no way that income's going to come in. Alas, master, what shall we do? And I'll tell you, Elisha, Elisha, he didn't rebuke that servant. He spoke comforting words to him. You know what his answer was? Fear not, he tells him. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And here's something we need to know. Elisha then did what? He prayed. That's what it says. And said, when he prayed, Lord, I pray thee that you'll open his eyes that he may see. God's sovereignly in control, isn't he? And it says, after that prayer, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And what did he see? The Bible says, and behold, all of a sudden, reality, he's seeing reality, the spiritual realm, right? It says, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire 
round about Elisha. Wow. And he thought the situation was desperate. You know who it was desperate for? The Assyrians. Do you think the devil's got his foot on your neck and is ready to crush it? Guess who the situation's desperate for? His head's been crushed. We'll be crushed totally here. So when you are in a severe trial, I would say, and it seems hopeless, you need to, we need to pray like Elisha does that God will open our eyes to see his power and his help. Open our eyes to see the power that's in his word. Because it's, his power is greater than anything our natural senses perceive, right? And guess what? God will. He will open our eyes and our understanding. But guess what? It doesn't just happen automatically. We need to pray, don't we, in humble, childlike faith is how we need to approach the Lord for the truth to be revealed because pride will keep us blinded. What's pride do? Pride sees that army there and it tries to start figuring out ways it can get through holes in the wall or go out this back door or whatever all else trying to figure out its own situation, right? And guess what? That'll keep you from seeing the power of God that's already there to deliver you or to see the way God wants you to be delivered. Listen to these words of Jesus. This, everyone knows this, but listen in light of what we're saying. Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus prayed this, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Wise and the prudent, God hides revelation from. But you have revealed them unto who? Babes. Is he talking about just the little toddlers? Oh, he's talking about those of us that have that simple childlike faith. Their respect and honor and see that he is the God of heaven and earth in control of all things. We're dependent on him. And we just need to approach him that way and he'll open our eyes to see his help is there. He said, you revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight is what Jesus said. So listen, two times in Luke's gospel, he reports Jesus had told his disciples everything about his upcoming death and resurrection. Listen, in, Matt, in Luke 9, 44, it says this. He told them this. Jesus said, let these sayings sink down into your ears. Let them sink down into your ears, he says. For the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the hands of men. But the Bible goes on to say, but they understood not this saying and it was hid from them that they perceived it not. Wow. He tells it, let it sink down to your ears. But yet it goes on to say, it was hid from them. In Luke 18, it says this, Then he, he took unto him the twelve and sent unto them, listen to the details he gives them now. This is a little bit further on. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. All the details. How could they not understand? That's pretty clear, isn't it? My seven-year-old can understand that if I said it to him. But look what it says. The third day he shall rise again. And it goes on to say, and they understood none of these things. Not any of it. They understood none of these things, and this saying, he says it again, was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Listen, the truth was clear. He clearly told them what would happen, didn't he? And it never changed, but they couldn't see it. 
because their spiritual eyes and understanding were holden by God. And what we need to see that he alone, not us, sovereignly controls what we understand about truth. Doesn't he? He does. Well, I've given you all that, and we're in 24. Turn in to look at chapter 24 of Luke. You should still be there. Look in verses 44 to 45. Now, this is after they've come back to the 12 and Jesus appears. This would be the third time. In verse 44, and he, Jesus, said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And look here in verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It wasn't until then they could understand what he had told them at least twice before, if not more. And you know what that should do? That should cause us all to fear the Lord. We do not control our own destiny. We do not control what we understand out of this Bible. It should cause us to fear the Lord, and it should affect our prayer life that we should humbly as I've already said, pray that God will give us understanding. Because if we haven't made the point yet, I don't know how much clearer it can be made, right? That God alone controls when our spiritual eyes are opened, right? Because does it ever say that he automatically blesses us? What did Jesus say in this, in this same gospel of Luke? He tells us to do what? To seek, to ask, and to knock. But what he goes on to say is, we'll never do that in vain. Everyone that seeks, finds. Everyone that knocks, I'll not keep the door shut. And everyone that asks will receive. But if we don't do that, and we think we're wise enough to figure it out on our own, guess what we'll get from the Lord? Nothing. But he's not trying to hold revelation from us, is he? Look, David prayed, Psalm 119.18, Open thou mine eyes, he prayed to the Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. David understood that, that God's the one that gave us revelation. And I'm going to quote you a verse that if we've heard it once in this church, we've heard it a hundred times from our pastor, Brother Hamilton. Ephesians 1, but listen to this now in light of what we said. Paul says this is a prayer he prayed because he realized these Ephesians needed understanding and revelation to know how to walk through this life with the Lord. And he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you Ephesians in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And here's what he prays. We're talking about God has to open our eyes. And Paul, I'm sure he prayed it for himself, and he prayed it for these people. He said that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And what will you know when that happens? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. If God doesn't reveal that to us, we won't know that. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. And listen to this. You say, I want to understand the power of God and how I can trust that. The third thing he prays that God will open their eyes and understand is that they may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. 
It's got to be a revelation. According to the working of his mighty power that he says raised Jesus from the dead. So like I said, we should be able to see by now that God and God alone controls what we understand and we need to fear and humbly ask him to open our understanding to his truth and to his power. So Jesus goes on through this passage here and asks the two men what they are discussing. I mean, he knows, but he's asking them. And one of them, Cleopas, answers, he's, he's like, he kind of is almost like being smart because he didn't know he didn't know this is Jesus. He's like, "Are you? That's where well, you get it. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and doesn't know about these things?" He's like indignant. And actually, it says that when he asked him that, now the King James says they're walking. He's, Jesus is like he notices they're walking and they're sad. Actually, it says when he asked him that, they stop walking and they are like, and then they look at him like, "You got to be kidding me! You got to be the only one that doesn't know what happened." That's really the picture that's painted. You just don't quite get that out of the King James. And he says, what things? And so Cleopas tells him what he does understand. He says, he tells him, well, this Jesus, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, was crucified by the chief priests. He knows that much in rulers of Israel. And he said, but I had hoped, we had hoped that he would be the one to deliver Israel from their enemies. And he goes on to say, oh, the other thing is we got this report, this report from these women and Peter that they went to the tomb and he wasn't there. Nobody found Jesus' body. And you know what? After he says all that, tells him what he does know, he gets a severe rebuke from the Lord. Look in verse 25. And then he said unto them, said unto the both of them after Cleopas has said that, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? I'll tell you before we go on, this is a, it is a strong rebuke. How would you like the Lord to call you a fool? Oh, where's the love in that? But what does it say in Revelations? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So I would say this is a rebuke of love. But what does this, what does this rebuke tell us? That God expects our understanding of the Lord and his will to be grounded in the word alone. Because notice, notice what he does not rebuke these two disciples for. He doesn't rebuke them for not believing the evidence in the tomb. He doesn't bring that up, does he? He doesn't rebuke them for not believing the testimony of the women. And he doesn't rebuke them that they don't recognize him. But he calls them fools and slow of heart to believe. And a fool is a senseless person. Someone with an unworthy lack of understanding. That's what that word fool means, a senseless person. You should know more than, you're a fool. You should know more than you're acting like you know. And slow of heart means dull. Mental slowness, you're too dull to believe. Now I'm telling you, they're getting ready probably in America in the world if to pass a law that if a preacher stands up and tells anyone you are too mentally dull to believe, you're going to jail. Because that's not, you know, you can't say anything about anybody with any kind of mental problem. With You can't say it like that, right? That's a jail term probably. I'm just kidding. But he's rebuking them for being too dull to believe what? Look what it says. 
that they were too dull to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And listen, that was the only Bible they had at the time. That was what we call the word for them, was the Old Testament prophets. And they were responsible to believe all that the prophets had spoken, not just what they liked. They were believing that all right. The Messiah is going to come and deliver us. They want to ignore all these passages that deal with his suffering. And he's saying, no, you've got to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And they couldn't, listen, they couldn't plead that their understanding was blinded, could they? Because if it was, it was just because of their sin. And so here's two truths we need to see, and we're seeing right here. And number one, that God is sovereign, but Jesus is not holding them. They're still responsible for believing that word, aren't they? He's rebuking them for not. That's for all of us. We can't say, well, God hasn't opened my eyes, so I can't trust him for this or whatever. Listen, we'll be held responsible for that, for not believing this word. So in this, I think we expect God expects us to base our understanding of him and all events. Here's how we're supposed to base our understanding. Not on circumstances, not on testimonies, not on miracles or our own wisdom, but what are we to base how we view events on? His word and his word alone. They were to, to view his death, res death, burial, resurrection, all of that, the crucifixion, from the word. Not what they thought about things, not what things appeared, right? So you've got to do it based on the word of alone. And I'll tell you, when we... As a church or individuals, when we start looking for something other than the word to encourage us or to base our faith on, I'm not saying this lightly, we are in great danger. Great danger. Listen, Paul warns in 2 Thessalonians, you know what he says about the Antichrist? He says that he will come with all power and signs and lying wonders and the ones that God says listen we're saying he opens and closes your understanding and the ones that will not receive the love of the truth the word guess what he's going to send on you a strong delusion you won't have any control over that a strong delusion the ones that weren't willing to stand on the word alone so people and it's happening they're looking for who's the miracle worker who's the charismatic miracle worker now who's the man of power who's this man that seems like he's got all the answers people are looking for that and the antichrist is going to be the one they'll find with all deceivableness of unrighteousness his craft and power are going to be so strength great that Jesus says if it were possible even the elect would be taken away by him and here's what Jesus told they came to him a ruler came to him and wanted him to come and heal his sick servant and Jesus told listen to what he says he doesn't just address the ruler it's in the plural he says unless you people see signs and wonders you will not believe because what did he say in Mark 16, that rich man that had died? He says, hey, can you please just send Abraham back to my brothers? And he's like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Miracles don't give you faith. Miracles can deceive you. He says, no, 
even though one rose from the dead, they won't believe. They have Moses and the prophets. They've got the word. If they can't believe that and their faith is not in that, all the other is just going to lead them astray. And it's not going to work. Because this word, this Bible, is our one sure foundation of truth. So the tomb, the reason he didn't rebuke them about the tomb and the testimony of the women, it wasn't that that wasn't true, but all that did is confirm what? It just confirmed what the prophets had said. Confirmed the word, right? It's not the basis for faith. So if you would, turn to, put something in Luke and turn to Acts 8. I want us to see what we know of the Lord has to come from the Bible. And that's how we experience him and know him. Turn to Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. And it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And is returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a dumb lamb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. That's Isaiah 53, 7 to 8. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And look what it says in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all thine heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Well, let me ask you a question. How did that Ethiopian eunuch discover the living Jesus Christ? By the preaching, by reading Isaiah, and it says he began there. Philip began there, and he didn't just end it there. He went through the Old Testament. So how do we discover the living Christ? You know, when they had that revival down in uh, Pensacola, you know, the, I heard this buddy of mine kept sending me tape after tape after tape of the evangelistic messages. And I'm listening to these, and I'm like, you know what's missing here? There is no preaching of the gospel. There's no scripture. This guy's just up here talking. And I mean, I'm like, I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that based on what we just read. I mean, what, do you, what are these people putting their faith in? 
all these, all these people are supposedly getting saved. I mean, you get saved, it's got to be, this is the reason why. The preaching of the gospel, the word. God opened Lydia's heart to the things Paul said, to the word he was preaching. Amen. That's, right. That's how you know about the living God. And I'm telling you, it wasn't just the word, though. It was also the Holy Spirit was at work. And how do I know that? Because the New Testament tells us that he is the only one that can lead us and guide us into all truth. Without the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't have happened. So, as we read, the eunuch believes and is baptized, and as Philip comes out of the water, the Spirit of God translates him some 20 miles away to Azotus. And so what does that leave this eunuch with? The Word. Faith in the Word of God. And was that a problem for him? If you remember, it said he went on his way rejoicing. He'd experienced the living Christ but through his word and by the Holy Spirit, right? So let's go back to Luke 24. So remember it said that Philip opened the scripture beginning in Isaiah and moved on. Look what it says that Jesus did to these men. So we're talking here in verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And look what Jesus does, the same thing that, that the Philip did. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them how in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the, Philip, with the eunuch, simply does what Jesus does here. And to expound or explain means to, to unfold the meaning of what is said. And listen, that is what the New Testament gift of a teacher does it's a gift of the holy spirit is it not read ephesians 4 he ascended on high and gave gifts unto men and i'm saying we all should be able to teach we should all be able to witness but is everyone a teacher no i would say no i'll say it for you <laughs> it was a gift that was given to the levite priest in the old testament to be able to take that Bible and take the scripture and open it up so the people could understand it. Write this down if you want. It's Nehemiah 8, 78. Listen, it says the Levites, not everyone, the Levites caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So here's how they did it. So they read from the book, from the law of God distinctly. And then the priest, it says, gave the sense of what was said, and in doing that, caused them to understand the reading. Read from the book of the law distinctly, gave the sense, and through that, caused them to understand the reading. And that's what Jesus is doing for these disciples as they walk together. Now, let me ask you something. Could you imagine being there in that teaching moment with those two disciples? Seriously. The Lord Jesus himself, starting at Moses and going through the whole entire New Testament, opening up that word, I mean, that had to be incredible. And I'll bet you, I'll just bet you those two were taking walks for a while every day on that road to Emmaus, don't you think? And uh, Hey, man, let's, let's discuss tithing and see what happens. Let's see who pops up, right? Any strangers approaching Cleopas, you know? So we look here, and starting in verse 28, it says they finally reached their destination, the village of Emmaus. 
And it said Jesus acts as though he's going to keep going on. But it says in verse 29, look in verse 29 there, he acts like he's going to go on, verse 28, but verse 29, but they constrained him saying, abide with us. They constrained or they coerced him to stay. So they, listen, they don't yet, they still, their eyes haven't been opened. They're not sure who this man is. But I'll tell you something, they can tell that there is something special about him. You know why? He appears to be a man, but this man has the words of God, and there's an anointing on those words we'll see. So listen, we went to a, a revival conference, I don't remember the exact years, a few years back, went to this revival conference at the Cove, the Billy Graham Cove in North Carolina. But it had all different denominations there, and it was mostly uh, people that were non-charismatic. But one speaker was there, Jim Cimbala, who is charismatic. And I'll tell you, when he spoke, you could sense the difference. Listen, we... My wife and I, we, we left here for a while. We went to other churches. I'm telling her, the worst day of, a, of an anointed, spirit-filled preacher is better almost than anybody that doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it's the truth. So these people, they couldn't quite put their finger on what was it about Jim Cimbala that there's a power, an anointing, an authority in what he's saying. And he's talking of miracles that take place in their church. They couldn't put their finger on it, and I would hear some of them talking. But they know there's something different. It's just like these guys had to be with Jesus. And even one of the non-charismatic speakers at that revival got up and he said, you know, I'm listening to this man preach and I'm hearing the things going on at his church and I sense that revival's taking place there. Oh, it's just the Holy Spirit's moving like he should. Yeah. It's really what it amounts to. So they sense something special about Jesus, but I'll say this. If they hadn't constrained him, it says he acted like he was going to go on, but I'll tell you what, if they had just let him go on, you know what would have happened? He would have. And they wouldn't have experienced verse 31 where it says their eyes were opened and they knew him. They would have missed that whole entire experience if they hadn't constrained him to stop. And I'll tell you what, though, I don't think it was in the, G the heart of Jesus to go on. I really don't. I think he really wanted to stay and talk with them more. In fact, I don't just think it, if I could say this without sounding arrogant, I know it. And the reason I know that is, is because, listen, in the book of Revelation, the Laodicean church, he has absolutely nothing good to say about that church. Absolutely nothing. Revelation chapter 3. But yet, this is the heart of our Lord towards us, towards all believers. Nothing good to say about this place. You think you don't need me? I mean, they've spurned him and all that other. But you know what he says? He goes on in Revelation 3.20 and he says, But listen, church, you don't think you need me, but here I am. I'm waiting for you to see that need. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So anyone in here, you say, well, I, I haven't really felt like spending much time with the Lord or in the Word. Today, hear his voice. Hear him knocking. Just open the door. He'll come in. That's his heart. He's not looking for a reason to walk on. And these men, they heard. They don't know who he is, but they're hearing the voice of the shepherd through this stranger. You know why? Because he says, my sheep will hear my voice. And he spoke what as they walked? His word. And so they opened their door of the house for him to stay. They compelled him. They didn't just offer. It says they compelled him. 
they urged him vehemently because they wanted fellowship with this man that had a word from God. They're like, that's what we want, what you have. They still don't know who he is. So let me ask, do we open our hearts to the Lord Jesus? You know, do we so want to commune with him that we compel him to stay and speak with us? Like I said, he's more than willing. Or is he left outside knocking? Because we've just got more important things to do, and that's all of us, isn't it? How many of us couldn't be convicted about that? So what you need to do is read Song of Solomon chapter 5. Because in that chapter, the beloved, it says he knocks at the door of his bride. But guess what's happened? She's gone to bed. That she's gone to bed, I've taken off my coat, I've washed my feet, and I've gotten in bed, and it is just too much trouble for me to get up and let you in. Song of Solomon chapter 5. And when she finally gets to the door, guess what? He's gone. She waited too long. Had her priorities mixed up. And she's frantic. She is going around, where is this, my beloved? Because she realizes, I, I lost something special. And these women are like, well, what's so special about this guy versus all the other guys? Oh, she goes on to say, I realize what I just messed up about. And guess what? In his grace, though, he lets her find him again. So is that you? Is that me? We've kept him outside. So this is more what we're talking about. It's more than just doing your daily Bible reading. This is intentional fellowship with the Lord through his word. It's meditation on what you have read. Not just saying, hey, I read my two chapters a day. I can mark that off of my little read the Bible in a year calendar. That's not going to get you very far. It's got to be, I'm compelling, Lord, I want you to fellowship with me through this word. I'm going to meditate on this. Show me things. Open my eyes. That's got to be the heart we have. So Jesus enters their house and eats dinner with them. Look what it says there in verse 30. And it came to pass as he sat with meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. All of a sudden, the guest becomes the host. Takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives some to each. And as he does that, what happens? This is one. Whoa, look in verse 31. And as that happens, it says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Their eyes were opened, and they suddenly see and know who he is. And let me ask you, why does this happen while he is breaking bread? Why does that revelation happen then? What does the bread represent? You know, in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he goes on in John 6, 51, it says, I am the living bread. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh. And man, did that offend those Jews. How are we supposed to eat your flesh? And he says, y'all aren't getting it. I'm not talking about eating my literal flesh. Because in verse 63 of John chapter 6, he says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Eating my physical flesh isn't going to do anything for you. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are light. It's the word, not his flesh, not even seeing him. The bread represents the word of God that tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we eat that bread of life, his flesh. How do we eat it? By believing his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all essential. 
believing his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because isn't that what happened to that Ethiopian eunuch? Isn't that how he experienced the living Lord, the living Savior? By believing the word, as Philip, it says, opened up the scripture to him. And he was translated, wasn't he? He's gone. It's just like Jesus here. He gives them that bread, and then it says their eyes are open, and he vanishes. He vanishes out of their sight because it's not in seeing the visible Jesus that faith comes, that gives life. That's what he's telling us here. It's by believing his words. The visible Jesus standing right here is not what's going to give you faith in life. It's the word. He says the flesh profits nothing. The words Jesus said that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so how important are the words of Christ in the Bible? Well, let's just look at our text here to answer that question. What did the two talk about after he vanished out of their sight? Did they talk about what he looked like? Did they talk about, man, I got to see him just for a split second. I thought he was dead. Is that what they talk about? Look what it says in verse 32. And they said one to one another, here's what they talk about. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scripture. They're like, man, that's what we remember most about this whole encounter, that our hearts burned with us, within us, while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road. So listen, their hearts were burning as they listened to Jesus open up the scripture to them walking. And what happened? He became the anointed teacher. Because the scriptures before we know, we've read, were shut up to them, closed, weren't they? But he opened fully, completely what had been closed. That's what the anointing, the power of the Spirit and the Word, what had been closed to them was opened fully. That's what that word expounded means. It's like you've got a birthday present somebody sent you or your wife's giving you or whatever, and you know inside that box... It contains an expensive gift, but guess what? You can't see it. The box is closed, but listen, as you take that ribbon off and untie it and you unfold that box, you look inside there and wow. As it's unfolded, you see what's inside, and that's what it says he does with that word in their hearts. He opened up that word, and what had been hidden, but was always there, all of a sudden now they can see it. And it said when that happened, their hearts burned inside them. All became clear. The truth is in Scripture. It's there. But without God opening it up to us, expounding it, we can't understand it. As a man, Leon Morris, I like the way he said that. It says, when he spoke the meaning, when Jesus spoke the meaning of those Scriptures, the hidden words, what was hidden in the words of the Bible, all became clear to these men. What was hidden became clear. And when those words are anointed by the Holy Spirit, guess what they are? They are words that will burn in our hearts. I mean, have you ever experienced anointed teaching that caused your heart to burn? I have many times in 30 years of being a Christian, however long I've been a Christian. And I'm telling you, for me personally, I can say there is no greater blessing than sitting under preaching that burns in your heart. Because when the word is open to born-again believers by a spirit-filled preacher, hearts will burn. Amen. Now listen, there are three heart conditions talked about here in this passage we've read. Three conditions. Verse 17 said their hearts were sad. 
Because there's people that they're not sure what's going on, man. This preaching has promised so much, and yet it's come up short in my life and everyone else I see around me. That was one condition. And then Jesus, remember we talked, he said your hearts are slow to believe. They're dull. It talks about dull hearts. And that is the root cause of a sad heart. You're unable to believe the word in light of the situation you're looking at. But listen, we have this third condition we're looking at, and that is burning hearts. And that is the result of this Emmaus Road experience these men have had. Walking with the Lord Jesus, opening the door of their heart so they can see what that word says, compelling him to stay. Stay, open up that word. And it will cause your heart to burn, cause my heart to burn. And through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus what? He becomes real to us, doesn't he? That's how. Your hearts burn with his presence. And I'm saying that's what we should want. Burning hearts filled with the presence of the Lord Jesus so that we have something to share with others. This is one of the, my favorite quotes. I heard this a long time ago. Catherine Booth. She was the wife of a man named William Booth, and they founded the Salvation Army. Now, the Salvation Army today and what it was back when it started are two totally different things because I've read enough about it. The power of God rested on those meetings, and most of them were open-air meetings. But I'll tell you what, their preachers fasted and prayed, and they prayed until the power of God was resting on them, and I mean they preached, and they got persecuted. And they saw prostitutes, the bums, all the dregs of society brought to the Lord. And I mean transformed and changed. I mean, it was a powerful ministry back then. Listen to what she said. Catherine Booth, burning words, she said. That's what I'm looking for. I travel all around and I hear oratory. I hear clever preaching. But what I'm searching for is something that will burn my heart like the men on the road to Emmaus. Amen. All I can say is, amen. Is that what we're looking for? I am. Because look, when there's an anointing on the word, and we know what we're ta I'm talking about, don't we all? Look, you're not looking at your watch, trying to figure out when this meeting's going to be over. You're not thinking about work. And that's the time when two hours of preaching are like 15 minutes. Isn't it? You all know what I'm talking about? And what do you want to do? You want to constrain that preacher to keep going. Just like they wanted Jesus, constrain him to stay with us. We want to hear more of what you have to say. You've got the word and an anointing. I mean, we can't get enough of this. Spend the night with us. And your heart's burning, and we need to pray for burning words. Don't we? The opening up of the scripture by the Holy Spirit to us, Right? burns our heart, and in that, not just that we can have burning hearts, but that we can have the revelation and understanding from God the Father, and through all that, here's what it is, we can encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're having when those hearts are burning. It's an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And like I said, look in verse 33, when that happens, hey, you have to tell others. Look in verse 33, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and they that were with them. Look, this happens, it's nighttime. You don't travel at nighttime back then. It's dangerous and difficult. And guess what? Man, when God has spoken to your heart and they real, they don't care. They're going to take that seven-mile walk at night back there because they have got to tell. We've seen him. 
our hearts burned with his word. He opened up those scriptures and we couldn't understand. It all makes sense. Praise God. It all came together. And they get there and they find out, hey, Peter, he's had the same encounter by the time. That's what it says. You read verse 35. So let me ask, can you and I experience the Emmaus Road? Can we know that the risen Lord is walking with us just as he did with Cleophas and his friend? I'm honestly asking that. Can God no longer open up the Lord Jesus Christ? Can he no longer open the scriptures to where our hearts burn while he's walking with us? Is that just, we read, just read this story? Is it put there just so we have a, an interesting story? It's one of the best stories ever written of all literature. It really is. I think we can. I believe we can. And I think it begins with how that we talk with one another about the things of the Lord, isn't it? That's what we saw. And Jesus delights to enter into those conversations. That's how it all began with them, and that's how it begins with us. And we have to understand that God is the one who sovereignly controls whatever revelation we have and knowledge we have of him. He's sovereign, and so that should cause us to pray and humbly seek his face about all that, right? And the other thing is we got to understand that what we know is grounded on the word alone. The word alone. That's how God is primarily going to speak to us. Now, I understand he can speak to us in other ways. He does all through the Bible, doesn't he? But guess what? It is never out of line with this. Anything that's out of line with this, and the better you know this, the better you're going to understand it. This is a false spirit speaking to me, trying to get me to go do this or that, that's driving me to do these crazy things that I think are God. Well, they're not God. So the more you know this, and the more you walk with the Lord, this has got to be your foundation. Every other revelation, vision, or voice has got to line up with the settled word. That's what Jesus is telling them there in verse 25, right? And I also think that when all that happens, when we compel him to stay with us and he opens his word, we can experience his presence and fellowship as God opens our understanding of the word through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. His words then become words that burn in our hearts. And so what happens then? This isn't just words on a page, is it? But the very words that have the voice of Jesus speaking to us. We can know that. And that can happen through the preaching of the word, or it can happen when you're just reading the word. And when that happens, guess what? When you know that and you've had that experience, guess what it takes away? Second-hand knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer knowledge based on other testimonies or some book you read, but you, everyone in here, can know yourself that your living Savior walks with you. Do we desire that? We can know that. You really can. He walks with you. He talks with you and is revealed to you specifically, me. Not us in general. And you know what those burning words when you experience, you know what that tells us? What it told those men. He's alive. He's alive today and he's speaking to you. That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to you and me. We can know that and so we can go on our way rejoicing. That's, that's as much as if we actually saw him. That's not going to give you more faith. Having that word, understanding that word, praying for the Holy Spirit to give you those burning hearts. 
And I would just say if those burning words are missing on your life, it's not too late. Go back to Revelation 3.20. Latch on to that. Well, I'd like to close in a little unusual way, if you don't mind. Uh, there was a song that Steve Green did many years ago. Uh, it's called uh, I Can See the Road to Emmaus. And I'd like Rick is going to play that for us, and just if you could just listen to the words. He's got a great voice, so it's not going to be hard to listen to. And we'll, we'll close that way. He walked beside me Like he'd been there all along Not a stranger But a father Who can sense when something's wrong And he answered all my questions And he understood my fears That somehow vanished now that Can't you feel something stirring in your heart? How his words ring strong and true Like a once familiar strain Can the path we follow from now on Be the same? Bear for him to leave me So I begged him Please to stay Spend the evening A few moments Before He went his way Then like a host He stood and blessed me Broke the bread And poured the wine Then I knew There was something there I
can see who walks with me. I can hear who speaks my name. I can feel something stirring in my heart. How his words still ring strong and true, like a once familiar strain, and I know. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word you've given us today, and I just pray for all of us here, Lord, that you'll continue to open our eyes and our understanding, the eyes of our heart, that we may see you more clearly in your word, Lord, that you'll reveal truth to us, and that you'll cause those words to burn in our hearts, Father, and that we'll know that you walk with us daily, and that we know you as our living Savior, and I just thank you that you do that for all of us here, and we just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake someone's hand, and you're dismissed.